I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Catholic Diocese of Austin and assigned to ministry in restorative justice, which is service to those who are incarcerated and those who tend to those who are incarcerated. I'm here today with Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, our pastoral care coordinator for the Gatesville region, and Renee Brown, who's director of counseling services for Catholic Charities of Central Texas. We're continuing our series on distance parenting, uh, reaching out to those who are separated from their children for whatever reason, uh, primarily in our world for uh, incarceration, but also those who may be remote to their children because of their work or even because of social distancing, and how to stay connected with your children, have an influence as a parent in their lives, even though you can't physically be with them. And so today we'll continue and just want to ask you, Renee, what are some of the clarifications for our listeners who may just be joining us uh, for this first time or um, those who heard the first three segments? What would be some of the clarifications you'd want to give us from segments one to three? Well, I just wanted to provide a few things. Um, I had mentioned a book that I felt was very important, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. But if you'll recall, I could not remember the author of that book, which I thought was very important for me to provide that information. And his name is Bessel van der Gok. So it's kind of a strange name. Last name is V-A-N, then D-E-R-K-O-L-K. Very informative book. So if you guys have the opportunity to get a hold of that, it'd be very helpful. Also, when I provided the list on parentification, our parentification list, that was taken from 14 Signs That You've Been Parentified by Whitney Goodman. And so really, I'm just wanting to give some props to some people. I don't want you guys to think that I'm totally brilliant and came up with all this on my own. Um, So I needed to give some props to people. And also, it felt like that maybe I needed to do just a little bit better job on explaining maybe the differences with the trauma. So acute trauma is what people are going to experience maybe that one-time thing, right? So that's when we have a natural disaster. That may be when a person's been raped. Um, where childhood trauma, um, as described by the National Institute of Mental Health for Children, they define childhood trauma as the experience of an event by a child that is emotionally painful or distressful, and it leaves an imprint of mental distress on the brain. And so I just wanted to give some clarifications to those things that we talked about before. Renee, in regard to uh, trauma, uh, please share with us the importance of therapy in redressing uh, matters of trauma. Well, of course, as a counselor, I'm going to be a little biased to, you know, uh, counseling and getting therapy. Um, But we've actually been involved with um, another project that we're working on. And so one of our counselors came up with this, this theory and kind of definition about Uh, therapy that I just thought was fantastic. And so I wanted to be able to share it with you all. But um, she says in her paragraph is, while taking care of ourselves is important, it's also that we're addressing learned behaviors that have been modeled to us. Or maybe it's behaviors that haven't been modeled at all from our earliest, most fundamental stages of development. If you find yourself stressed or overwhelmed by circumstances, you know, sometimes that balancing 
uh, finding healing or maybe processing former trauma, it can be beneficial to get therapy. Therapy is a way for us to um, retrain the negative beliefs that we may have about ourselves and that can prevent us from living to our highest potential. Therapy is a way for us to begin to learn how to reparent ourselves with kindness and humor and patience and respect. I just read this and thought, wow, this is like a brilliant way to kind of describe therapy, the need for therapy. So I wanted to be able to share it with you all. Um, you know, being an incarcerated person, finding therapy can be very challenging. Um, I think there are counselors maybe in many other prisons. I know you all are out there, you know, doing your ministry prison work and therapy in that manner. I would encourage people that if you do not have access to a counselor or therapist within your facility to do some self-care things that we've talked about in other segments, start doing those things for yourself. You know, most of the prisons that at least that I've been associated with through my children, they have libraries available. So there, I would think that they would have books available for um, self-care, just different ways to take care of self. And I would encourage people to go down to your library and check those things out. One of the things that we hear frequently in all of our prison units, both in Gatesville and in Marlin, is that having access to weekly religious services, and particularly for Catholics uh, coming to the Mass, they will say in one way or another, Uh, This is something that I look forward to every single week because it's the most normal thing that I can engage for the two hours that we all are together for Mass, Confessions, and Catechesis. I would presume that's a a type of therapy in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. You know, last one of our last segments, we talked about how— Um, Well, the things that I used for my own healing process and spirituality is a huge component of that healing process. And so if you're if you have an opportunity to attend mass or to meet with one of the prison uh, ministers, that is a very viable part of therapy. That's a great way to get, you know, some of the counseling that that you may need. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do parents need to understand then? We talked a lot about them keeping themselves Mm -hmm. together and doing a lot of good self-care for themselves. You can't give what you don't have kind of thing to your kids. What do parents need to understand about how their children develop? This is one of my favorite topics, primarily because prior to being a counselor, you all know I was a teacher and I was an early childhood major. And I'm convinced that uh, being a parent myself, I'm convinced that every person should have to have a child development class um, when they're expecting children because we we tend to go into parenting, parenting like our parents or everything that we know about children often is based on what our parents have told us or being a part of a family system. And so one of the things that I want to share is a little bit about brain development of children because I think that's so important. If you'll think about parenting, you've taught your children how to feed themselves, 
You taught your children how to dress themselves, how to use the restroom. We teach children all of these things that they need to do to survive. And we'll do it usually with patience and kindness. When your child is learning to feed themselves, they may drop that spoon 20 times. Food may be everywhere. But you'll keep at it. But the interesting thing is, as parents, we often forget about things like brain development and what children are truly capable of. Sometimes we have these expectations that children are able to do all these things that they're really not able to do yet. And so um, what I looked up is, um, and guys, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be looking at my screen on this just because... Um, I'm getting older. I don't remember everything exactly. So this is based on Piaget's work. Piaget was a founding father in the field of child development. And he talks about the stages of brain development and what children can actually do. This is important because you're trying to communicate with your child. You want to be able to parent your child. Then you need to know exactly what your child is capable of and not capable of. And so when we look at the stages, and I'm not necessarily going to name them all. I'm just going to kind of give you some age ranges. So when we look at children from birth to two years, um, this is a time that children are learning about language. They're learning about um, things that are going on in the world around them. This is like a discovery uh, stage for children. Um, Complex abstract thoughts, that is not there yet. So if you're expecting that your two-year-old is going to remember a bunch of directions, that's not going to happen. They're not ready for that yet. For children two to seven, this is when they start getting some of their symbolic thinking, right? They're learning grammar. They're using their imagination. They're becoming intuitive. One of the most important pieces of this part of child development is the piece that children at this age are egocentric. This means children cannot take on your perception, Their brain has not developed enough to take on somebody else's perception. Everything is from their own thought and perception. This is why little children feel so much responsibility when things go wrong. Children will automatically assume at this age, if mommy and daddy are getting a divorce, then it's their fault. If something went wrong in the home and they see you upset, it's their fault. It's just the way their brain is developed during this time period. Um, For children 7 to 11, they're becoming more independent in their thoughts. You know, they can rationalize a little bit better. They're learning some different concepts. And then when you get to children 11 and up, they are able to do some of that logical, abstract reasoning. And so I just think this is important information so that when you're parenting your child, sometimes you get frustrated with your kiddo, but... Your kiddo may not be in an age range where they necessarily understand everything that you're trying to do for them. So what are the eight eight things that all children need? So this is kind of my list that I've put together um, just from all this early childhood information. And it's funny, I've done this for several years where even in counseling, I'll say, well, there's these five things that all all people need, all children need, or et cetera. And over time, I've kind of changed it up a bit or combined some things. And so um, I'm pulling it up in front of me because I don't want to forget any of them because they're so important. So the eight things are unconditional love. Love for our children should not have conditions. You don't have to do anything for me for me to love you. 
You don't have to play soccer for me to love you. You don't have to wear a dress every day for me to love you. As your parent, I love you with unconditional love. Kind of makes me think of Jesus right yes, now. The it way, does. Right? That was exactly the way I, they. When you said that about unconditional love, I was thinking about God the Father immediately, and you, and, and Jesus and the Holy the whole Holy Trinity. So exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think about it often that you know, if we are made in God's image, then when we look at our children, that's really what we should be seeing in front of us. So providing that unconditional love, no matter what you're doing, I love you. Children also need acceptance. Everyone wants to have that feeling that they're accepted by somebody. Um, you know, just from from being a former teacher in an alternative school where we were highly populated with gang members, you know, some of those pieces would come out when we were doing guidance counseling is, you know, I didn't feel accepted by my parents. So I found a group of people that would accept me. Right. And so I think acceptance is extremely important. We as a family have been challenged with um, my grandson feels very accepted by my daughter. You know, she's just like, I love you and I accept you the way you are. But on the other side of the family, dad is struggling with some things. My grandson is one of those gentle souls. You know, he's a big kid. He looks like he's, he's way older when he's only eight. Um, but dad has a hard time accepting that this is not going to be a football player boxer, right? And he's made some comments that have hurt, you know, my grandson's feelings. And so this is something that we've been challenged with because, you know, Corley doesn't feel like he's accepted by his dad. You know, he loves music. He's playing violin and all these other things. So acceptance is very critical. Um, power and control. That's always, parents always kind of look at me funny, like, you want me to give my kids power and control? What does that look like? And all it really looks like is choices. You know, I'm definitely not telling you to let the eight-year-old drive the car, nothing like that. Um, it's about choices. And you can give choices starting at a very young age. When children are two or three, you can say, do you want to wear the blue shirt or the red shirt? Do you want apples or do you want oranges? So power and control looks like choices. You know, they get a little bit older. Maybe they're six or seven. Well, how do you want to decorate your room? Do you want My Little Pony or Barbie? You know, whatever. So it's involving children and allowing them to have this sense of power and control in their family or in their environment. Another piece is safety and security. This is a very important piece. Children need to feel safe. They need to know that you're going to protect them. They need to know that you're going to back them. Uh, if you are allowing your child around toxic people in your family, we all know who the toxic people are in our families. We can we can identify them. And often what we do is we protect toxic people for the sake of, I don't want somebody to know about my family or this is how we do it in our family. Your responsibility is for the safety of your child. So if there's somebody in your family that is toxic or dangerous, your child should not be around them. Safety can also look like I need a home that I'm going to be in all the time around people who are safe to me, that care for me, that love me, that provide me with shelter and food and clothes. That goes into security as well, that safety and security piece. I am secure here. My basic needs are being met and maybe other needs are being met. My emotional and mental health needs are being met. My educational needs are being met. 
fun and play. I mean, people, life should be fun and children should be having fun. I love it. Like when I go to the playground with my grandson and I'm seeing all the kids running around and they're laughing and they're yelling and they're just so free. Such a beautiful thing to watch. And in my mind, I'm like, man, wouldn't it be great to go back? I mean, you know, it's it's just so beautiful to watch. And, and that's what their life should be like. It shouldn't feel like I have responsibilities or I, I should have to do all these things to please people. It should be very free and very fun. And I include play on that because as an early childhood major, what I would share with you is play is one of the critical components for kids learning, especially for young children. All those opportunities for play actually help them learn. Um, It teaches them how to engage with others. Um, It may help them with just physical development and learning how the world works. So play is critical. Um, structure and consistency. You have to be careful with structure because you don't want it to be too rigid um, where there can't be some spontaneity or there can't be opportunities for failure. But you do want to offer kids structure. And that means, you know, we have a routine. You know, we get up in the morning, we eat breakfast, we, you know, then maybe we do some reading, um, you know, or if they're going to school, we go to school, then we come home, we do homework. So you want to have structure. You want to have consistency with your rules of consequences. That is critical. Um, Consistency needs to be daily. It needs to be the same all the time. You know, you can't tell kids, well... Um, today, you know, the child does something and you let them get away with it, but the next, because it was convenient for you. And then the next day it's like, no, you're going to time out or whatever. It needs to be consistent. They have to know what's going to happen at all times. Right. Also emotional support. Sometimes this is the tricky one. We are really good at, I think as parents, we, you know, we can, teach kids, like I said, we can teach them all these things that they need to know for school or for learning. But sometimes we forget to talk about emotions with with kids. And just like you taught your child how to get dressed and feed themselves, we have to teach children what it means to have good character, what is kindness, what is empathy, what is compassion. And not only just telling them, we have to show them. You are, I I would tell people this all the time when I was a teacher, but as a parent, you are your child's first teacher. You are going to teach them everything. You know, I may be teaching the content at school and just facilitating some of these other behaviors, but you're the teacher for that. And so it's really some uh, teaching children about emotions. So, for example, we have worked a lot. Um, my, my grandson's just, you know, he's got a, a counselor grandma. So... <laughs> He's kind of the guinea pig for all these things, but he's actually very good at being able to express emotion. So when he was in kindergarten, there was a little boy in his class who had some challenging behaviors. And one day the little boy threw a chair. And so Corley went up to his teacher and was like, um, you know, I can't learn in this environment when children are acting out and throwing chairs. Now, his teacher at first was kind of like, whoa, maybe he doesn't understand that some children are different. But he has a cousin who's autistic, so he understands that we're not all going to be the same. But he needed to advocate for himself. And we've taught him, you know, advocate for yourself. Um, 
you know, he will he was playing soccer last year. And because of the work we've done with him on expressing emotions, he's able to communicate like this with us. And so it's great. But he was playing soccer. He got really upset on the field. And we actually thought maybe he was hurt because he doesn't cry very often. My daughter pulled him off the field. Corley, what's going on? And he was like just holding her and crying and sobbing. And so then I was holding him. I was like, can you tell me what's going on? What are you feeling? That was the word I used. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? He goes, Gigi, I just don't know right now. And I said, well, do you feel like you can get back out there and play? And he's like, yeah. So he goes out, finishes the game. At the end of the game, I said, Corley, can you tell me now, like, what do you think this was about? And he goes, yeah, I was frustrated. Okay, well, what were you frustrated about? Well, when everybody's yelling at me from the side of the field, my brain feels scrambled and I can't focus on the game. And this is from a seven-year-old. So that work that we've done on supporting him emotionally and talking to him about emotions kind of goes back to the anger thing that we did in one of our other segments, right? He couldn't in the moment, because he's seven, he couldn't tell me in the moment when he first came out the field what was going on. But as he thought about it and could process it, then he was able to come back, express to me what was going on emotionally, and we could work on that together. Um, And then the last one is positive role models. Kids need positive role models. I can't remember one time this person said to me something like, um, it was a quote that their parent would use, and it was something like, do as I say, not as I do. And that just did not make sense to me. I was like, what do you mean, do as I say, but not as I do? I mean, our children look at us as their role models. They are seeing everything we do. And they're looking to you. This is how children learn. It's not just what we're telling them. It is what they see us do. For example, if you tell your child, you know, well, you need to believe in God. Well, he needs to see you praying and he needs to see you reading the Bible and he needs to be participating in those Bible studies together. Right. So we have to make sure that we are modeling the behaviors that we want for children as well. So unconditional love, Mm -hmm. acceptance, power and control, meaning choices, safety and security, fun and play, structure and consistency, emotional support, and positive role models. Yes. Certainly many of our listeners, especially our incarcerated listeners, could write all that down, look at it and say, as a checklist of things that were either present or not present in my life, many of these were not going to be present. And one of the things that they look to for the church and find in Jesus and find in community and find in the Holy Trinity is literally that divine community of love that provides all of the above, maybe for the first time in their lives. They've never, they don't know what Mm -hmm. to do to role model because they didn't have it role modeled to them, but they see it in Jesus. They see it in how the apostles, uh, you know, responded to him. They see it in all of that. But the absence of one, two, three, eight of those things, then uh, uh, in in some ways, uh, like a distancing from God, uh, then distances us from a a healthy state of affairs in our mind. And and so my my question with all of that said, um, as our children don't get some of these things, and as we're trying to provide them from afar, uh, how do I know the signs 
that that what my children aren't getting are now beginning to have some identifiable effects like anxiety, like sadness, mm-hmm. like fear? What are the signs? So you may notice um, or somebody may share with you like uh, maybe there's a decline in their schoolwork. That can be one. Maybe they are their grades are really low, poor grades. Maybe they're having trouble learning. What we do know just from an educational piece, too, is often when children are experiencing anxiety, depression, or fear, it inhibits their ability to learn information at school. So one of the things that if you can find somebody that can, like uh, your your parent or somebody be in contact with school, that can be a very helpful piece because they'll know the milestones for learning and they'll know which milestones your child is not reached if, as far as learning and they can kind of help you get in contact with that. If your children, uh, if your child seems hyper or they're very fidgety or maybe they, they're worried, they, might, they can look worried. They can appear worried. Maybe they're nervous, you know, even when you're with them on a visitation. If they're coloring and they're holding their crayon or a pencil and their hand is shaking, maybe they're worried. Maybe they're nervous or, or anxious about something. Um, they may be being aggressive or very hyper. You know, they may lack some of those internal control pieces. And that's how you're going to see it. It's going to look like aggression. It may look like uh, hyperness. They can't sit still. Those could be other things as well. But that just might be related to the depression and anxiety. Or maybe it's tantrums. You Maybe they're throwing tantrums, you know, at home. Um, so those are just some of the... Um, some of the signs, it could be that they're not really interested in some of the activities that you would expect that children would be, you know, interested in. Um, if children are sad, they may not want to go outside and play. And you may be like, wow, they always want to go outside and play. Maybe they don't want to ride their bike anymore. So you may see a decline in some of those things that they typically would like, you know, would like to do. And so that can be a good way to determine if your child is feeling you know, maybe some fear or some anxiety if they don't want to get up and go to school. I don't want to go to school, you know, or I don't want to be around a certain individual. That could be a sign that maybe they're, you know, feeling some fear or anxiety as well. As a parent addresses those things, and again, I'll go back to what you gave us in the first three segments, Mm -hmm. um, to address those signs as they see them, I've got to be in a good enough place myself. But I'm in prison and I'm living in prison every single day. And as you mentioned, your daughter and your son have both Mm -hmm. experienced that. Um, Did you learn anything from your own children about how they kind of gathered themselves together, you know, got it together Mm -hmm. to be able to have something to give to their children? You know, it was interesting with Tierney. um, Drew, my son, he doesn't have children. But Tierney, one of the things that we talked about was like before visitation, especially, we would go visit every other weekend. I just wanted Corley and her to have that time. But she would, it was kind of like her head game, right? It's like she would be preparing that morning. Like I have to be in mom mode. I cannot be selfish. This is my time with him. And that was some of the things that she would just kind of get in her head and talk to herself. You know, I'm not an incarcerated person right now. Um, I'm not worried about what's going on with the other women around me. I'm not worried about guards now following rules yes but in the sense of all the chaos that can go on in the prison that was in the background for her her focus was getting ready for Corley and so that could be something you know to kind of 
get your head game, you know, ready when you see them. And then when you're with your kiddo, like at a visitation or over the phone, you want to make sure that that you're being kind to your child. Even if you're hearing talk that they're misbehaving or they're, act, you know, worried, you know, and you want to be careful not to criticize the child themselves, but talk about the behavior, right? That is so critical. We don't want to criticize them. We just want to address behavior. You want to avoid like threatening your kid, nagging your kid, trying to bribe your kid. Oh, well, I'll have mom get you a snack, you know, if you do this and this and this or, you know, threatening them. Well, you're going to be grounded if these things happen. You really want to try not to do those things when children are struggling like with anxiety and depression and those sort of things and really encouraging children to talk about their feelings. They do not know how to talk about feelings until you teach them how to talk about feelings and you want to validate their feeling. I think I mentioned that in one of the other segments before, right? We do not have to validate behavior. If if the behavior is poor, if it's unacceptable, we don't validate the behavior, but we validate the feeling. You're frustrated, you're angry, you're upset, you're worried, you're anxious. Validate the feeling and then just talk about the behavior and then help them figure out a different behavior. Well, what could you have done differently? You know, and help them through that. Let's ask the mother of Jesus to help all parents in these challenging times. Hail Mary full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen.